following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew 6 today, Matthew 6, so we finally made it out of chapter 5 and uh, jump into chapter 6 today. We'll be in verses 1 through 4, but uh, before, uh, before I read the text, you know, let's, uh, you know, some, some forms of worldliness are, are just obvious, right? So, so let's suppose that, that I came into church today and, and uh, you know, I, I had normal pair of jeans on, I looked normal for the most part, but, but I was wearing a, a t-shirt with a big Playboy bunny plastered on the front, now, now, if I did that, first of all, you would all check me into a mental institute because you would think, what in the world happened to our pastor? But then beyond that, uh, you would recognize immediately the, the worldliness of that shirt because everything about Playboy screams ungodliness. It doesn't fit with, with a biblical worldview. But, but, but not every form of worldliness is, is that obvious, Right? So, so let's suppose that in the next few months, you know, we're hoping to do a building project before too long, and so we're trying to build a, a fundraising campaign to, to build our building, and so we're trying to think of ways to motivate you to give a little extra to, uh, to, to our building fund, and so, and so we develop a scheme. So if you give $10,000 towards the building fund, then we'll put this really beautiful 12 by 12 brick on the side of the building that says your name. It says how much you gave. If you give $5,000, we will put a six-by-six six brick on the side of the building, and, uh, and then so forth. Now, now, most people would not bat an eye about that, right? Because, because nonprofits do that sort of thing all the time. That's how they motivate people to give. You know, if you give, then we will let everyone know that you gave. And so, you know, everyone likes a little public praise, and if we bring in a little extra cash that way, then... By all means, do it. You know, but Jesus is not so much interested in, in going with the flow and, and in what people think fits and doesn't fit with, with godliness and, and worldliness. Now, he demands that we root worldliness out of the deepest resource, recesses of our hearts and that we replace the, the, even the motives of our heart with ones that are godly, and, and, and fitting with God's truth. And we see that in our text for today where he deals very closely with that very illustration I just gave in Matthew 6, 1-4. through 4. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. Now, now again, uh, verses, verses 1-18 through 18, uh, are beginning a, a new section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to confront a, a subtle form of worldliness. 
So namely, we, we twist godly activities, and, and he's going to name here giving to the poor, um, prayer, and fasting, very good godly things, and we twist them into a means of gaining the praise of men rather than to praise and glorify the Lord. Now, now it's subtle because everyone does this. All right? we, we do it in different ways, but, but we all like people to think well of us. The pride of life dwells in every single heart in this room. And so we all care about what people think of us naturally. And we are all tempted to to do certain things a certain way just to make sure that people see us a little bit better. But Jesus doesn't care about what the world thinks. He cares about genuine godliness. And in verses 1 through 4, he confronts his audience specifically for, for charitable deeds, for giving alms, for worldly praise instead of God's praise. So so we're going to be challenged today in particular about the motives behind our giving. But but really beyond that, Jesus challenges us to to think about why we engage in any form of Christian service. And specifically, he's going to challenge us that flashy does not equal godly. Flashy does not equal godly. That we must serve for God's praise and for God's praise alone. So first of all today, let me find find that. So first of all, the first thing he challenges us with is that flashy religion displeases God. Now now before we get into the text, before we get into verse 1, we need to just back up for a moment and and notice where where this verse fits within the broader context of the sermon. So so, so notice, turn back, and notice what Jesus said in, in chapter 5, verse 20, because this is a crucial verse. So chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. So Jesus demands a, a deeper, pure form of righteousness than, than, than what was being practiced by the scribes and Pharisees of his day. And, and then he tells us what he means by that. So in chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, uh, he talks about, he, he takes several demands of the law and he deepens them and, and he especially challenges us that true righteousness leads to a different type of love for my neighbor. That I really do care about him. And that I am careful to, to look out for him and to serve his best interests. And now in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he continues to challenge us about genuine righteousness, but his focus shifts from from how I demonstrate righteousness in loving my neighbor to to how I live for the pleasure of God. And he makes this point, again, by addressing three uh, crucial aspects of Jewish godliness. Giving alms, in verses 2 through 4, prayer, verses 5 through 15, and fasting, in verses 16 through 18. And Jesus is going to point out how the Jews had taken these necessary aspects of godliness and they had twisted them into forms of hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy pops up in all three sections. And here in verse 1, he introduces this section by by talking about a temptation that that lies in all of us. He warns us in verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or or your righteous acts before men 
to be seen by them. Now, now specifically here, Jesus warns us about letting our, our, our focus shift subtly. When, when we are praying, when we are giving, when we are fasting, for, for doing these things for God's pleasure, to practicing them before men, and he says to be noticed by them. Now, it's interesting that that word noticed, that, that verb noticed, uh, is a verb that was originally used of the theater. So, so the idea is, is that Jesus is saying, beware, lest your religious deeds become a theatrical production to be seen and praised by people. Now, we've all seen people put on a theatrical production, right? So, you know, I, I, I can't stand it. You know, this is, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you talk about things that, um, I, I hate drama. So, you know, not like real drama, but drama, all right? And, uh, you know, we've seen kids do this. You, you tell them, you know, go out and, you know, clean up the yard. And, and they're out there, they're cleaning the yard, and they are just, you know, letting you know about every sweat of drop and, and you know, and, and the great sacrifice that they're making and they're, they're putting on this incredible dramatic production while they just rake up a few pine needles. You know, or, or, or athletes do this all the time. You know, now, now I, I, I enjoy seeing an athlete get excited about winning. It's one thing to be like, I can't believe we won the game. It's another thing when they got to rip off their shirt, beat their chests. You know, look at me. Look at how glorious I am. And so one is saying, I can't believe we did this. The other is saying, look at me. I am the best. And of course, that, that same spirit oftentimes bleeds into the church and even into Christian ministry. A lot of churches and, and pastors love to put on a flashy show that is more about them than it is about God. So, so when people leave, uh, they're not amazed at God, they're impressed with the show, with, with how funny the pastor is, which is something you have never thought when you've left here, how intelligent he is, or, or some other thing, the, the incredible production that was put on by the church. And the same temptation bleeds down to every level of God's people. That... Uh, that, that, we, that we, can, we can be very good at showing up at church, looking godly, impressing people with who we are, and it's all just a front. You know, I, I've, you know, I've seen people, and, and you've maybe known people, that, man, they can show up on Sunday, and they look spiritual. They've got the right clothes on. They're involved in every ministry under the sun. They know all the right things to say to, to, give, you the, to give you airs of, of tremendous godliness. But then you begin to get under the hood. Get to know them. See their family. See their marriage. And, and, and it becomes apparent very quickly that, that all that show is not a reflection of genuine godliness. It's just a show to impress people. And doesn't reflect a changed heart. And so Jesus warns us about this temptation, and then he warns us about the consequence that comes from it. He says, of these people who do all this religious work just to be seen of men, he says, otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus here assumes that you might be able to trick everyone around you, but God knows your heart perfectly. You might be able to fool everyone in this room, but you cannot fool God. 
And Jesus warns that no matter how impressive a deed may appear on the outside, if I am driven by the praise of men rather than the praise of God, God sees it. He is not pleased, and there will be no reward for a deed done for the praise of men. Now, 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 now we might, at first, we, we like the praise of men, right? I mean, we, we tend to get very caught up in, in how people see us. So, so naturally, we think that impressing people is really valuable. But, but Jesus says, if that's all I get is the praise of a few people, then that's a great tragedy. Because no amount of earthly praise can, can match the blessing or the reward that comes from Christ. So, so to sacrifice the praise of God and His eternal reward to, to earn some, some applause from a few measly people is a terrible, foolish choice. So don't do that. Now, now I do need to add a couple qualifiers here. And the first is, is that Jesus is not calling you to despair anytime you sense mixed motives in your heart. Now, I emphasize that because, because some of you, and, and I'm naturally this way, are prone to introspection. So, so this is one of those verses that, that can just suck the life out of you. After all, uh, our motives are never 100% pure. So you're working in VBS, you know, and, and you're working hard, but, but you feel this, boy, I hope people see me. And like, oh, it just got ruined. No reward. And you beat yourself up. And so, if you wait to serve Jesus until your motives are perfect, you will never serve Jesus. Because our hearts are always divided, and Jesus knows that. So, so he does clearly want you to reflect on your motives. He doesn't want you to ignore them. And, and if you see a, a, a prideful heart that is driving you to pursue the praise of man, then, then he wants you to correct it. Because otherwise, this verse wouldn't be in the Bible. But, but when you recognize that sinful motive, don't despair. Confess it to the Lord, learn from it, and pray that, that God would, would, by His Spirit, help you to get up and, and do better. And, and I'd say in particular, you know, don't focus on that bad thing in your heart. The, the, way you, the way you get rid of that bad thing in your heart is not to focus on the bad thing. The way you get rid of it is to focus on the Lord. Love your neighbor. You rejoice in the opportunity to, to glorify the Lord and go after it. And, and then a second qualifier I want to give is that Jesus is not saying that, that any and all public recognition is necessarily sinful or, or that any public net recognition negates the blessing of God. So, so look back at chapter 5, verse 16, because we need to balance chapter 6, verse 1 with this verse. All right, so, so chapter 5, verse 16 says... Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, so Jesus says that you should live out your faith before the world. That, that we aren't supposed to hide our, our good works, so to speak. So, so chapter 6, verse 1 cannot mean that if anyone ever notices your good works, that you're doing something sinful and, and therefore you will not receive a reward from the Lord. No, no, the issue that I think is, is clear is, is, is my motivation. So who am I seeking to glorify? So chapter 5 or 16 says that we are to live this way before the world. Why? That, that the world will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
right? And that's, very, and that's a good thing, right? We, we want people to, to see the power of the gospel transforming us. We, we want to live in such a way that, that we are a sweet reflection of the Lord that, that draws people to Him. And that's very different from the hypocritical stage production that, that we see in chapter 6. It is not about causing people to glorify God. It's instead about causing people to glorify me. Now, I think a, a perfect example of, of, of the spirit that Jesus is describing is found for us in John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's the spirit of a godly man. That, that, that I, will, I want people to see Christ in me, not that they see me. And, and so we want to, to manifest His grace and point others to it. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that's your heart. That you love to serve the Lord and you want to make an impact for His glory. You want to manifest the power of the cross in everything that you do. You want Christ to be seen. So so verse 1 states this general warning. Flashy religion displeases God. We want to show off Christ, not ourselves. And then verses 2-4 through apply that warning specifically to giving alms. And the basic challenge of verse 2 is that we must reject flashy religion. So, so to appreciate verse 2, we first need to recognize that, that giving alms, charitable deeds, as the New King James says, what was a vi- played a vital role in Israelite society. So, so they didn't have a social security, welfare, disability, all those things that we have in our day. So, so, so generosity, what was vital... So if you were uh, someone who was an orphan, you were disabled, you were a widow, or you were elderly, your life depended on the generosity of your family and and of the society at large. So it was a big deal. And it was an important expression of love, and so because of that, the law had a lot to say about this issue. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29 say, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So so the law was clear that, that Israel was obligated to provide. For the fatherless, which would be uh, an orphan, uh, the widow, the stranger, the foreigner, and so forth. And that emphasis uh, only grew over time. So, I've got a couple quotes here from the Apocrypha. Of course, the Apocrypha was written during the period between the close of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so, notice what they had to say. Uh, This comes from the book of Tobit. It says, It is better to give to charity than to lay up gold. For charity will save a man from death. It will expiate any sin. That's a strong statement. Wisdom of Sirach says, as water will quench a flaming fire, so charity will atone for sin. Now, now those quotes indicate 
that, that the Jews of the, of the period leading into the New Testament, they, they didn't think of charity as a minor thing. You know, we, we live in a day, we, we don't necessarily think a lot about giving to charity. You know, like you walk past the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas, you're like, oh, I should probably put a dollar in there. You know, and otherwise, a lot of times, we, we don't necessarily think a lot about giving to the needy and so forth. But that's not how it was in Jesus' day. Giving to the poor, giving alms, what was a vital part of their thinking. And in fact, these two quotes say they believed that, that it earned them salvation. Now, of course, Jesus would, would totally reject that idea that you can buy off God in, in that way. But, but notice that he still assumes that almsgiving was an important act of godliness. So verse 2, he assumes it. He says, when you do a charitable deed. Not if you do, when. And the same in verse 3, when you do a charitable deed. So, so Jesus assumes that God's people will be generous. And, and, and we see that same emphasis continue uh, in the New Testament. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? John says that that if you have a brother in Christ who is in need, you've got the means to help, and you close your heart, it, it calls into question whether or not you know the love of God in the gospel. That is a big statement. And James 2 similarly says that if we close our heart to to people in need, that that it calls into question the sincerity of my faith. That that I might have a dead faith, meaning a not real faith, if I I fail to be generous. So it's important to be clear that Jesus is not in any way discouraging generosity. No, the New Testament assumes that anyone who, who has truly received the love of God in the gospel, will will be generous in return to others. But but as we've seen in chapter 5, the Jews had taken a a good concept and they had twisted it into a means not of of genuine godliness, but selfish gain. So so notice back in chapter 6, the nature of flashy religion. So so verse 2 again says... Jesus says, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Now, now Jesus here paints quite a sarcastic picture here, doesn't he? And so the synagogues uh, and the streets would have been uh, places that if you wanted to gain religious attention, that was the place to do it. So, of course, the synagogue was the center of of Israel's religious life for, for the local communities, And then as well, uh, during various feasts and festivals, uh, they would oftentimes do various parades or or religious uh, actions while while they went down the streets. So so if you were wanting to make a scene, you were wanting to show off your godliness, these were the places to do it. And Jesus pictures someone here blowing a trumpet while they put their offering in the plate. Kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine like, if we had a buzzer on our offering plates, you know, like every time you put something in the offering plate, you know, ding, 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 you know, and, and streamers came down. And, and that's kind of the idea that Jesus is portraying here. It's absurd. And there's no actual evidence uh, archaeologically that we know of that, that Israel would literally blow trumpets when someone uh, put an offering in the offering plate. Uh, so, so Jesus here 
is, is he's using hyperbole. He is mocking the absurdity. I mean, uh, I don't know if this is where we get our phrase, toot your own horn. Uh, maybe uh, maybe that's, this is probably where it comes from, actually. But, but they're tooting their own horn, sounding their own praise. And so this guy here, he is putting his offering in the offering plate, and he is doing everything he can to make sure everyone around him sees how big the check is. He's looking at the $100 bill up in the light, making sure that it's real, and then he's putting it in. Would be maybe the, the way that, that we might do it today. Hopefully not. And so he wants attention. And what does Jesus call this man? A hypocrite. Now, now this word for hypocrite uh, is a word that was originally used of, a ma- of, of, of an actor in a Greek play who would wear a mask. And that's a great illustration of what a hypocrite is. Because, because a hypocrite is someone who is, who is ungodly on the inside. Wicked on the inside, but he wears a mask of godliness, puts on a front to hide the sinfulness of his heart. And the Old Testament frequently confronted Israel for the fact that that they hid the ungodliness of their hearts behind religious deeds uh, such as almsgiving. Amos chapter 5, God says to Israel, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. And what does God really think? And He looks out at all these things, the pomp and the circumstance of of Israel's religion, and he says, I hate it. Get it out of my face. And why does he say that? Because he knows it's just a cover for an ungodly, wicked heart. Jesus also sharply confronted the hypocrisy of the people in his day. Mark 7, verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So God cares very deeply about why you do what you do. He doesn't just want a religious front. He wants your heart. He wants you to to love Him sincerely. He wants you to love your neighbor. And He wants you to follow Him in genuine obedience, not to keep up with, with everyone else, but because you love Christ and you want to please Him. So so don't get lost in the game of religious pomp. You know, where you crave attention, you you compete to be the most spiritual, and you use it as justification for harboring an evil heart. And people can do that all the time. You know, I've met people. I mean, they are, I mean, it's absurd, but but you'll meet people like, like they're living in rank sin, but, but they carry the right Bible. Or they wear the right clothes to church. And they're proud of this thing over here. Even while it's so obvious that they are ungodly on the inside. And and so you might be able to fool us. But but you cannot fool God. And so Jesus despises that. And, And then notice, 
Tragically, what the end result will be, which is the emptiness of flashy religion, Jesus warns the hypocritical giver at the end of verse 2, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So in other words, again, there's, there's a lot of sarcasm dripping from the mouth of Jesus here. The hypocrite grave out of a desire to be seen by men. And that's exactly what he got. A few people clapped. Woohoo! Good job. And they were impressed. Now, now, from a worldly perspective, that's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, that's why people will give 10 grand so that their name can be on a 12 by 12 brick. Like they want people forever to remember how generous they were and how spiritual they were. But, but we can all hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice. And in particular, we get the fact that when you compare the praise of men with the praise of Almighty God, and the rewards that he offers, then all of a sudden the praise of men doesn't look that significant anymore. I mean, it, it lasts for a short time. Now, people are finicky. You know, very often, the, the people who are the quickest to, to heap the loudest praise on you are the first to stab you in the back when, when things go wrong. There's no joy. There is only anxiety in, in living a life to please people, in living a life dominated by peer pressure and status and image. That's why oftentimes the people who are loudest, most boisterous, you know, the ones that, that always have to make themselves the center of attention, when you start to get to know them, you find out that oftentimes those are the very people who are the most depressed, the darkest, because they're putting on this show desperate for attention. And it just continually leaves them unsatisfied. There's no joy there. There's no hope there. So, so chasing worldly praise will never satisfy. It will only leave you empty and lost. So, so don't play that game with your faith or, or with any other aspect of your life. You know, I think especially this is applicable to, to teenagers and young adults who, who so often... I mean, they're just dominated, overwhelmed with, with, with the desire to fit in and, and image and, and, and pleasing your friends. And I just say, you know, to, to all of you who are younger, don't waste your time obsessing over the opinions of a bunch of, you know, finicky, childish teenagers. You know, care about what the people who love you and are going to be there for you years from now think. Not some kid that you're going to forget six months after school's out. I mean, and, and especially care about the opinion of your Savior. So, so may all of us reject the flashy religion and, and the empty pursuit that, that Jesus goes after and instead, in its place, pursue God's approval. So, so notice how Jesus closes the passage in verses 3 and 4. He says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deeds may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. So, I'd like to offer two challenges from this verse. First of all, replace flashy with quiet. Now, once again, Jesus uses hyperbole in verse 3. So, He talks about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And He doesn't mean that you can somehow literally hide your generosity from yourself. Like, like, I was trying to think this way. How, how could you? I mean, I don't know. Like, you're writing your offering check, and so you just, like, start, like, you close your eyes and start, like, punching in numbers. And, and you know, I, I don't know. Like, 
I mean, it's not very practical, right? So, so he's not speaking literally here uh, about uh, something that we're to do. Uh, no, he's, uh, you know, and rather, I mean, notice, I think really to understand verse 3, you have to notice it in contrast to verse 2. So, so the man in verse 2 is determined to broadcast his gift as far as possible. He wants everyone to know what he is doing. And in contrast, the man in verse 3 is determined to keep it as quiet as possible. He's, he's trying not only to not gain earthly praise, he's trying to avoid it. And so the point is, is that rather than pursuing attention, we should proactively avoid it. Now, now we do need to think, about, think carefully about why Jesus says this and what he means. All right, so, so is Jesus saying that no one anywhere can ever know about the ministry that you're doing? Is he saying that any form of public acknowledgement or, or thanks is wrong? You know, what does he mean that, that if I, you know, if somehow, like someone, you know, if I as a pastor say thank you for your ministry, then poof, your eternal reward is gone because I noticed you and praised you? Well, no, because Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 16, to let your light shine before men so, so that God would be glorified. So, so we should. Boldly live out our faith before the world. We, we should live as lights in a dark place. No, no, the point here is that Jesus is telling us how to confront our pride. Because he knows that all of us, in various ways, are prone to wrongly seek the approval and praise of people. And it might not be in giving for you. It could be all sorts of other things. So you might revel in people uh, seeing you as beautiful. Stylish, tough, fit, funny, smart, spiritual. You know, I mean, all, there, there are a million options under the sun of ways that you might be obsessed with image. And, and Jesus here gives us a case study, you could say, of, of how we respond. So if you crave the attention, for example, that, that comes from being generous, then you should take aggressive steps to counteract it. So is it wrong for someone to know that you gave a gift? No. But, but if you recognize that your heart is being pulled that direction, like I really hope they realize what I sacrificed, and I hope that they praise me for it, then, then if you recognize that pull, then you need to fight back. So, so go above and beyond in protecting yourself from being motivated to give for the praise of men. And in its place, be secretive. Of course, that's a common temptation for lots of people. That, that we would give for the praise of men. You know, that's why we provide offering envelopes in the back. To, to help us as a church give secretively. You know, it's why uh, only a couple people in our church know who gives what. Because we don't want that to be common knowledge. And, and it's why, you know, as well, I mean, I know as a pastor. I know my heart. So if I knew what everyone gave, I would be tempted to, to be a little more loving and caring and helpful to the ones that are giving the most as opposed to the people that are giving the least. So I really work hard not to know who gives what. And, uh, and that's important for my good and it's important for your good. You know, and to broaden out the principle, Jesus teaches, um, uh, to, to the, the principle Jesus teaches affects other ways that we operate as a church. You know, so, for example, 
I mean, we, a lot of you uh, do a lot of, of ministry here in the church, and you sacrifice time and energy. And we do want you to feel appreciated. We want you to know that we are thankful, that we see what you're doing. We want to encourage you in your work. But we only go so far. You know, so, so, so we don't have you stand and everyone claps for you for the ministry that you're doing in the church or, or, or heap some sort of, of praise like that because we don't want you serving for that reason. Because if you're serving in the church for the praise of men, then you're not serving in the grace and strength of the Lord. So, so we want to be careful and intentional about those things. We want grace-empowered ministry, not ministry for the praise of people. Of course, this principle uh, applies to lots of other areas of life. So if you're motivated uh, in, in, your, in whatever thing, in, you know, let's, let's take something like social media. You know, and if your whole goal in, in social media is to portray an image about yourself, to get people to see how beautiful your family is, or to see how smart you are, or how funny you are, or, or whatever other things might be going on, then, then, then it doesn't matter if, if there's nothing wrong with, with what you are saying in and of itself. You should take proactive steps to counteract that drive for image. You can apply that to other things. The same goes for your appearance. You know, I mean, it might be that, you know, well, let's say this, you, know, you are dressing to impress. You want people to notice you. you want, when you walk into church on Sunday or you walk into the store, you want people to like, wow, she is beautiful. She has incredible taste. And if you're dressing to impress, it, it might be that your clothes are modest, but your heart is not. And you might need to take proactive steps to counteract it. And we could apply that to all sorts of other things in life. That, 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 when, we, that when we see something in our heart that, that is going in the wrong direction, Jesus, if anything, says we should overcorrect to guard our hearts. And so giving is just one way among many that, that we can live for the praise of men. So Jesus says, watch your heart and take reasonable but aggressive steps to counteract the, 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 the sinfulness of your heart and to guard the sincerity of your motives. So, so replace flashy with quiet, and then secondly, pursue God's approval and reward. So, so notice the promise with which Jesus concludes the passage. He says, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You know, there is just so much rest and so much encouragement in that verse. Because it is so easy to, to wring your heart with anxiety over people's uh, unpredictable and, and constantly changing opinions. You know, and again, that's why, that's why so many junior hires and, and so forth are a mess. Because they, they worship the idol of image. And it's a hard idol to worship because it's always moving and it never satisfies but god always sees us perfectly he never misunderstands you he he never takes something one way when you meant something else he sees us perfectly and he sees everything he sees when you are generous to someone who can give nothing in return and we battle that don't we you know, like some people, you know, I, I like being nice to this guy 
because I know if I'm nice to him, good things are coming. Or, or he's just, I like him. You know, but then, you know, there's someone else that it's just hard. There's no glory in it. It's just difficult. And I'm not going to get anything back in this world for doing it. And, and so we struggle with those things. But God sees. Now, he sees your labor behind the scenes here at the church. Or, or in some other gospel work. You know, it might be that you are, you are investing hours in ministry and, and no one seems to care. No one seems to notice. It's just hard and exhausting. And you think, man, why am I doing this? You know, same goes for, for maybe your labor at home. Or, or labor that you do at work. Where, where you are just investing time. You're doing the right thing. And you're not getting anything back. No one cares. There's no glory in what you're doing. But, but Jesus promises that He sees. And He will be faithful to reward every sacrifice and every righteous deed. So serving Christ quietly might not seem worth it in the moment. And at times, it might be really hard. But God will make it worth it. So I want to challenge you to live for the approval of one. You don't have to be a slave to the foolish opinions of people. You can rest in God's perfect understanding. And if He is pleased, then it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. And if, and, and, and if His eternal, eternal reward is worth anything, worth more than anything you've sacrificed in the process. And let's especially today apply this thinking to our finances. You know, because, because that's the context here. And so, you know, the world says, you know, that you need to keep up with the Joneses. Now, not our Joneses. That would be really hard, you know. They're pretty impressive people. But no, he's not saying that. He's saying, you, you know, the world says you've got to keep up with the Joneses. You've got to have all this stuff, and you've got to, you know, live a pleasure-filled life, and, and you've got to have nice things, and, and, and all that stuff. And, uh, but God says, prioritize generosity. Be giving, because it is more blessed to give than receive. And considering eternity, there is no wiser thing that you can do than to give out of love for Christ and to express the love for neighbor, or to give to see the gospel go to the nations. And let's do it all with a quiet, with a quiet spirit that Jesus requires in our text. You need to replace flashy with sincere godliness. So pursue God's eternal reward by keeping your good deeds private. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the wisdom and the promises of this text. And so Lord, I pray that You would challenge us all about our motives, about why we do what we do. And Lord, I pray that You would replace our obsession with the praise of men with an obsession with the praise of God. And oh, Father, I pray that we would live for Your glory and for Your glory alone. And Lord, we thank You for the promise we have that someday You will reward every sacrifice. And so I pray that Your Spirit would give us faith to see that promise clearly and to see the eternal prize and help us to live for Your praise and for the approval of of one, namely our Heavenly Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, and we're going to sing the song that we learned earlier this summer that fits us so well, All Glory Be to Christ, a song that calls us to, to do everything for His praise and for His glory. Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, Tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as is above. Who is Himself our daily bread? Praise Him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness, yet all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Father, we look forward to that day uh, that we stand before you. And Lord, what a wonderful day it will be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so help us to live this week with the intent of all glory be to Christ. 
that we want Your name to be praised. We want people to see You through us. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would live with kindness and love, grace, holiness, and that we would manifest the Savior. And so guard our motives. Encourage us in Your Word. And Father, use us this week to, to point people to the Savior. Use us this week to lead someone to Christ. And use us to be disciple makers for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.